Not a fan. Part five. So are you suffering so much going through this, you wish it would hurry up and end? Or are you saying, this is so good, I hope it goes on forever? <clears throat> We're not going to give you a choice. It's going to go on at least two more weeks. Uh, not a fan. This part five is more, more than rules. It's simply the, the title of it. More than rules. And hopefully you can almost guess where that's going when we think about all that we've been talking about in terms of defining the relationship with Christ. A relationship. It's more than rules. It's a relationship. You know, at different times, actually more often than uh, you might think, I have individuals come to me and they all have a different way of wording at least the first part of the question, but by the time they wrap up their question, it almost always ends the same way. I have people come to me and they'll say things like, I'm not married and my girlfriend and I have a child. I had a couple come to me and say, we're homosexuals. I've had others come to me and say, I'm divorced. I've others come to say, I've been in prison. Others come to say, I'm probably going to prison. Some come to say something as simple as, I don't have any nice clothes. Well, whatever the first part of that statement is, the second part is almost always the same. Can we come to your church? Can we come to your church? Well, the answer is easy for me. Absolutely, you can come to our church because we've got some of all that in here, or pretty much. And no matter what it might look like when you come on a Sunday morning, if everybody got up and and shared the, the dark side of their testimony, you'd be astounded what's in this room. And yet the enemy would have you think you're the only one that's screwed up. Well, the reality is the screwed up people start up here on the podium and they work their way all the way to the back. We all have issues, we've all had issues, and we're going to all have more issues. And we need to be in a place where there are not a list of rules that requires anybody to meet to come in and say, can I be a part of this church? There's a phrase that I read in a book that I really like. People need to belong sometimes before they believe. And what I mean by that is they need to feel welcomed, have a relationship, and discover that people care. People love them. Most of the time, people that come to me like that, they can, they, they're relating to a bad experience that they maybe have had in a previous church, or, or they're relating to the perception that they grew up with in the church they attended, or maybe it's just simply that someone's given them some bad information. But whatever the reason, they've got in their mind somehow that they aren't good enough. They haven't kept the rules well enough. Now, Gandhi was not a Christian, but he, he's accredited with this quote, and I think there's a real powerful meaning in this quote. He said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Isn't that powerful? A non-believer who would say, I, I like what I know about your Christ. I know about Jesus. What I know about him I like. It's the Christians I don't like so much because they're so different than the Jesus that he's read and studied about. There's a story in the Bible that we could go in a lot of directions with, but it's, it's found in, in John chapter 8, the first 11 verses. I'm not going to read all of them to you. We're going to look at a few of the verses in just a little bit. But I'll give you a little bit of background again. Jesus has been ministering and he's been teaching and he's been doing amazing things. And basically when Jesus goes about teaching and doing amazing things, 
it ticks off the religious people. Because they don't like what he's doing. They don't like what he's teaching. It's challenging their power base. He's doing things they can't do. And they're not very happy about it. And in the end of chapter 7, Jesus is confronting some of the religious leaders. And again, every time they try to confront him, (laughs) they lose. He confounds them. And it got to the point that they're even almost arguing amongst themselves. Nicodemus is saying, now wait a minute, if we're going to accuse someone, don't we first need to know where they're coming from and what it is they're trying to accomplish? And they look at him and say, are you from Galilee too? And then it says, they all went home. And then it says, Jesus didn't go home. You know why he didn't go home? He doesn't have a home. He doesn't have a home. It says he goes out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus is a camper. He went out to the Mount of Olives. And then in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, Early the next morning, early the next morning, he got up and he went to the temple. And he went to the temple to teach. And the people were there and the large crowds were gathering once again to teach at the temple early in the morning. And if you could just picture this scene, Jesus is teaching at the temple. People are all gathered all around and all of a sudden here comes this commotion down the street towards the temple. And it's a bunch of Pharisees and scribes, teachers. In other words, it's a bunch of religious people coming and in the midst of them, the Bible says, and in the midst of them, it's almost as if there's this person who's just kind of in this mass or mob, whatever you want to call it, and they're just being pulled along by the force of the mob, it says, there's a woman. And they come to Jesus. And when they get to Jesus, they say in verses 4 through 6 in John chapter 8, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap or testing Jesus in order to have a basis for accusing him. Now, we can argue the legal points of this. You know, and what Jesus could have put on his attorney's hat and he could have argued with them because they were misrepresenting the law. There was death involved, But both people are to be stoned. If anybody's going to be stoned, the man as well as the woman. They're not supposed to bring them publicly, humiliating and shaming this woman like this. And there needs to be at least two witnesses of this event. There's all kinds of legalese, but that's not the point I want us to focus on here. These people came with a wicked heart. They had nothing but evil intent. They're totally publicly humiliating this woman who up to this point, no one knows for sure if she's even guilty. We can presume from the story she was, but no one knows that. And they come with this this accusation before Jesus, and the evil in their hearts is, we're going to trap this guy. Because you know what? When they asked him this question, Jesus was in a box, humanly thinking. Because if he said, yeah, I guess that's what it says, let's kill her, he would have been violating the letter of the law. And it's not that Jesus did not respect the law. Don't hear that. But if he would have said that, he would have been doing the letter of the law, but it would have undermined all of his teaching that he had been bringing. So he was in a position like, okay, here it is. Here it is. I'm in trouble. You ever been in one of those positions? Whatever you do, we have a phrase that I won't use this morning, but you are if you aren't, and you are if you do. You're just in a place. 
So what does Jesus do? Well, first of all, I want us to look at the word. In my translation, the word was testing because they were going to test Jesus. In your translation, or a lot of the other translations, it says, and I believe the one that was there, they were asking this question as a trap. As a trap. And the word there in the Greek is piradozo. Piradzo. And what it means, they're going to test to prove something, whether it's good or evil. And in this case, evil. There is another Greek word that's used if they want to prove something is good. So the word that is used here is clearly saying, these guys, these religious leaders again, are coming with evil intent to trap Jesus so they can accuse Jesus and totally destroy his ministry. That's their goal. They're trying to use the rules to trap him. Rules can do that to us just as easily as anyone else. Rules can trap us. They can turn us into a sort of angry mob, just like this mob that came bringing this woman. You know, we might not form a mob and run down the streets like they did, but we might gather over here in a small circle and just start gossiping about somebody and make sure we drop their name two, three times. And and basically, we're acting like this mob, bringing accusation. Because they don't follow the rules. The written rules or the imagined rules. And when we do that, anytime we overemphasize rules, we find ourselves in a place that the people begin to think, we got it all figured out. Again, it's amazing. And unless you're reminded of this and you hear this, you forget this. Literally, people come, visitors, and sometimes it's people that have been here for a long time, and they come in and they look around the room and you all look so nice, they figure you and I have all got it figured out. And you know what happens then? They don't dare address their issues. They don't dare to confess their shortcomings. Because we have this attitude of, well, when you're as good as we are, you don't have any problems. They begin to think we got it all figured out. Well, part of them knows better. But at the same time, they don't want to open themselves up because they've been hurt before. They've been ridiculed before. They've been mocked before. They've been betrayed before. So they don't want to go that road. But when we overemphasize rules, we run that danger every time. They won't share their struggles. This is the main point that I want us to get this morning as we go through this. Christians... You and me, we can be a lot more like Pharisees and religious leaders than Jesus if we're not careful. And we are called to be like Jesus. We are called to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. What does that mean to be an ambassador? That means I go representing Jesus in the words I speak and the way I live my life. You and I are all ambassadors if we know Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. Wherever you go, you're to represent Jesus not to turn into a rules-oriented Pharisee that totally alienates people and will drive them away. We can use rules to rationalize our bad behavior so easily. We can say things and, and justify it because we are pulling this rule here and that rule here, and we're using it. But we know none of us can keep the rules anyway. 
If you're not careful, even though we might be well-meaning believers, well-meaning Christians, we, we create a list of rules that will wear out people and frustrate them to no end. Because you can't keep them. Rules, this is point one, rules can be cumbersome. They can be an entangling thing when they're used wrong. Now, I had friends, classmates, when I was young, going back in the dark ages now, use your imagination. But they went to a church that you went to church three times a week or you were really not, not a good Christian. They couldn't play cards. They couldn't go to movies. They couldn't go to a dance. And the list went on and on. Now, some of you may know churches that go way on and on and on. <clears throat> My wife went to a Christian school, a Catholic school, I should say. And they had all kinds of rules. And they had their uniforms. You had to wear it. You had to look alike. Well, it breeds rebellion. My wife used to get the wildest, craziest socks she could find. <laughs> and go, here, sister, look at this. But that is a picture of what rules do to us. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't rules in the Word of God that are good. There are. It's full of good rules. There's full of good principles. We are to, to follow commandments of the Word of God. But when the emphasis is on the rules, that's where we get into a problem. When it's all about rules instead of relationship, we're in trouble. So don't hear me saying we're not supposed to follow any of the rules. That's not what I'm saying. At the end of the story, when we get to it, Jesus doesn't ignore the woman's sin. He says, now go and don't sin anymore. So he acknowledges that it's wrong, and we don't want to fall into that trap of thinking we can ignore all the rules. That's not the point at all. Here's what happened to most of those friends, a lot of them, and some of them yet to this day. They walked away from the rules, and they walked away from Jesus. And you know why? They didn't associate the rules with belonging to a particular organization like a church. They associated the rules with becoming a Christian. And those rules have nothing to do with being a Christian. That's what we need to be careful of. It's not that rules are wrong, it's what we associate them with. You know, most of you have had people in this own community. I mean, you wouldn't believe the crazy rules they think we have. I've shared some of these in the past. You know, you have to give 20% of your income to go to this church. That's a rule we don't have. You can never drink a drink. That's a rule we don't have. You're not supposed to go to a dance. I'm a little bit of trouble there. We're not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to do that. Where do they get these rules? It doesn't matter, but if they believe them, it shows you the power of these rules. They associate the rules with being a Christian. And then they usually attach onto it that they think we are holier than thou because of a bunch of rules we don't have. Are there rules we have? Absolutely. Are they important? Of course they are. But they're not rules that determine whether or not you're a Christian. There's some rules that we have as primary beliefs of what we would ask you to agree with to be a member of this church. If you don't want to be a member of this church, no problem. Don't join the church. But you don't have to join this church to be a Christian. It's not required in the least. Now, you'd think that's a no-brainer, but people think that way, especially when we emphasize rules. If you're really a Christian, you'll do this. You'll do that. 
Back in John chapter 8, this woman, irregardless of her guilt, which it's assumed she was guilty, by the way, Jesus responded. She is being drugged in this street in a public setting to the temple, totally being humiliated, totally being ridiculed, mocked, shamed. She had broken the rules. And if you could try to get into her mind, I don't know what she would be thinking, but she probably realized, you know what, she'd made some bad choices, she'd broken some rules, and today it could cost her her life. So the situation is a serious one. Now what does Jesus do? It's interesting, because after they ask him the question that we read in the previous verses, here it is, we caught her in the act, What are you going to do about it? The law of Moses says we should stone her. Jesus pretty much acts like he didn't even hear him. And it says he just knelt down to the ground and he started writing something on the ground. Well, the Pharisees and scribes were getting a little impatient. Some translations use the words, they persisted to ask him, what are you going to do about it? He's down on the ground just doing something. They're demanding an answer. From him. Jesus then stands back up and he just simply says this in John 8, verse 7 He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone. Now, the, the, the word that's Translated without sin here is another interesting word. It does not mean perfect. Jesus isn't saying to you, any of you who have never, ever, 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 ever sinned in your life, go ahead, let her rip, throw the first stone. That's not what he's saying here. The implication is pretty clear. He's talking about a specific sin. And he's saying, any of you that are totally sinless in this particular area, go ahead, throw the first stone. And then what's he do? He just kneels down again and starts to write something on the ground again. We have no idea. There's all kinds of speculation out there what he was writing. It really doesn't matter. Because the Holy Spirit was already at work. And what happens is is Jesus kneels down. It's almost like he's giving him a chance to sneak away without having to look at him. He kneels down after saying, go ahead, throw the first stone. And they all just kind of disappear like mice scattering in different directions. And it says the eldest went first. Now, I don't believe that means the oldest person. I I believe that means the leaders of the church that were there took off first. And all the rest of them followed him. Then Jesus straightens up a second time in, in John chapter 8, verse 10 and 11. And he says this to her. Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Again, get the historical context. There needed to be two witnesses for this to happen in the first place. So he's saying, where are they? Where'd they all go? Who has condemned you? And can you imagine this woman? Part of her is probably going, they're all gone, thank goodness. But probably part of her is knowing, if there's anybody here who could condemn me, it's this guy. She says, no one's here, sir. And then Jesus simply says to her, then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. 
what a wonderful picture we see in spite of what the people thought were the rules. And this is the second point. Rules do not encourage grace. They don't inspire grace. If you are really hung up on a whole bunch of rules, you probably don't exhibit a lot of grace in your life. Again, it's not that rules aren't necessary and important, and whether it's in an organization or in your home. That's not the point. It's how they're misused and what they represent. The rules don't inspire grace. You've probably heard a story like this before, but I literally did this because I read about it and I was a school teacher. I was a school teacher up in a little school district called Campbell Tinta, Campbell, Minnesota, north of Breckenridge, or south of Breckenridge, north of Morris. I was a biology teacher, chemistry teacher, everybody's favorite subjects. And I was going to give a quiz in my 10th grade biology class. And I made the quiz absolutely as hard as I possibly could. And then I gave instructions. I'm going to hand out the quiz, leave it face down on your desk, and don't turn it over until I tell you you can. And then before you start to answer the questions, make sure you read the entire quiz first. Heard a story like this? Yeah, I really did it. It was fun. So I handed it out. I said, okay, everybody turn your papers over and go ahead and follow my instructions. And if you've heard this story before, it's the same result in my classroom. If you read all the way through, the bottom question or bottom statement simply said, please sign your name to the paper and hand it in. You get an A. Man, I can remember one kid, Scott. Scott never passed a quiz in my class in his life. But first, and he usually never followed instructions. But that day he did. And he's looking at me, and I told him, nobody say a word. And he's looking at me like, this is a trap. I know this is a trick. I just, but he does his name. He writes his name on there, Scott Davidson. I wonder what ever happened to Scott. He signs his name, and he hands it in, and he's just grinning waiting for me to tell him it's a trick. And he goes and sits down. And a few more did this. But a lot of them took the quiz. And then I heard a few people, you know, this, when they got to the last question, they were ticked that they didn't read all the instructions. And then I had a few people got to the end of the quiz and they were just flat out angry. I remember one girl, actually my daughter's named after her, Amber. Her name was Amber Lingus. She's a straight A student. Smarter than her teacher by a long ways. She was upset. Because she always did her homework. She always studied. She always came prepared. And she aced this quiz anyway. And she was ticked that people like Scott got an A, and they didn't even study. They didn't do anything. And we can easily fall into that same kind of trap. Where's the grace? Now, I wasn't a Christian, so my whole plan here wasn't to exhibit grace. I just thought it sounded fun. I wanted to see what would happen. And it was fun. A lot of them couldn't believe it could be that easy. That's the way there are a lot of unbelievers out there. When we share the salvation message with them, they go, they can't believe it that easy. When I used to work for Relco, we always had at that time our national sales meeting was in Sioux Falls. And I remember one guy in particular because I ended up doing some traveling with him representing Relco. And their particular church 
denomination. Saturday night, you had to be home by midnight. You can't travel after midnight. You can't have a TV in your house. And the list went on and on. Well, he's sitting at the, the conference. It's the wrap-up of the conference. They're sitting there drinking and telling stories and using whatever language he wanted to use. And, but at the right time, he had to watch his watch because he had to get up, get in his car, make sure he was back at his home in Iowa before it was midnight. And when I'd travel with him, the first thing he'd do when he'd walk in the hotel room is turn on the TV, which, of course, they're not supposed to watch. A bunch of rules without relationship. Jesus calls out to us to believe what he says. I had the opportunity to share with this man as we talked because I knew he thought he was a Christian. He was a fan, <clears throat> a fan at best. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I explained to him, you know, all that stuff, all those rules, if you want to keep them, go for it. But none of those have anything to do with being saved and being a Christian. He says, here's what it says in the Bible. It says this, this, and this. If you're a sinner, we're a sinner. We acknowledge we're a sinner. Somebody had to die for our sins. Jesus was sent to earth as God in the flesh. He went to the cross and died for my sins. He paid the price for me. And all I have to do is receive the grace of God and accept that gift of salvation. And I'm a Christian. And then the work gets hard because now I'm supposed to live like one. But up to that point, it is easy. And that's exactly what his words to me were. Nah, that's too easy. That's too easy. You've got to earn it. Well, the problem is you can't earn anything with God like that. A lot of times we find people who, who drag around or have this list of rules around their neck, a bunch, of, a bunch of rituals and obligations, all these things that they're supposed to do. And you know, the really bad part is they figure everybody else should have the same list of rules. So they don't only destroy their own life, they're putting all that guilt and shame on everybody else. You know, Jesus is calling out to all of us who are pretending to be something we're not and saying, just come. He's calling to all of us who, who are burdened with guilt and fear and, and religion that just is wearing you out. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all, come to me all, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Oh, I like that. And then he goes on and says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Man, religion is not an easy yoke and the burden is heavy. we got to keep all the rules. Make sure we don't mess up. His yoke is easy. He says, come and learn from me. Be our teacher. And as you learn from him, you'll discover, wow, this isn't that hard. This isn't that hard. It's an easy burden. It's an easy load to burden or to carry. You know, maybe you grew up in a home where you're taught all about Jesus. Maybe you went to church. Maybe you even went to to church camp in the summer. But there's a very good chance you might have learned to fear Jesus, so you tried to keep as many of the rules as you possibly could, hoping you wouldn't go to hell. There's an awful lot of people like that. 
And when you would sin, boy, then you'd feel all of the guilt and all of the shame, and you wondered if you were still good enough to get into heaven somehow. You were taught that you should, you know, carry out all these rid- ridiculous, as long as I'm not naming a church, I'm okay, right? All these ridiculous traditions and obligations of religion, or you can't possibly go to heaven. But somehow in all of that, and it's really not too surprising, you never really fall in love with Jesus. Matter of fact, that doesn't hardly make sense to you to fall in love with Jesus. At the very best, we became fans of Jesus. We might have liked some of what he represented if the rules weren't too obnoxious. The danger is simply this. When rules take precedence over love and grace, it's hard to fall in love. Maybe you can picture it this way better. If you're married in here or have been married, you know in all likelihood when you got married, you made some vows. So you knew what some of the vows were. I mean, Cindy and I got married, I knew that I was making a commitment to be faithful to her as long as we both shall live. I knew that I was to love, honor, and cherish her through richer for poor, better for worse. <laughs> We've had some of all of that. But I knew those rules going in. I knew that, that no matter what happened, I was charged to, to honor her and take care of her. Now, after we got married... I discovered there were some other rules that weren't written down and quite as clear. I learned there was a simple rule. When I hear the word vacation, what she's saying is camping and hiking. Rule. I learned that there was another rule when I said, Honey, I haven't seen this shirt for a while in my closet. I'd like to wear it today. She'd say, It's downstairs in that closet because it's wrinkled and it needs ironing. And I'm thinking, Well, great. Go iron it. No, what that meant was I was going to go iron it if I wanted to have that shirt unwrinkled. I learned there was another rule that what I say, man, some of you can relate to this, isn't near as important as how I say it. It's taken me a long time to learn that rule. And I'm still working on this rule that when she's talking to me, I'm not supposed to watch SportsCenter. I'm supposed to look at her. Now, if our relationship was determined strictly by those rules, it'd really stink to be me. Or her. (laughs) If our relationship is nothing but a bunch of rules, it'd be impossible to keep anybody happy. But because I love Cindy... Those rules are not a burden. I learn these things. I don't do real good at them all the time. But I look at them, and it's not like a rule I have to keep because if I don't, I'm not going to be married. It's a rule I want to keep because I love my wife. So all of those things that are such amazing sacrifices, you know, like putting the lid down on the toilet and things like that, aren't that hard to do. I don't do very well with that one either, do I? Yeah, I'm about over here. The reality is this. It is the grace and love of God 
that frees us and inspires us to live for him. It's the great, it's not the rules. It's the grace and love of God. It's by grace we've been saved through faith. It's the grace of God. He loves us unconditionally because he wants to, not because he has to. The grace of God. It's when we get that, we can live for him. Now, a guy by the name of Augustine, who many of you would never have heard of, but he was a a theologian many, 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 many years ago. He wrote this. Who can be good if not made so by loving? Love God and do as you please. Now that's not a get out of jail free card. He said that understanding this truth. If I love God, I will live to please Him. So you're not made good without love. The loving God. Love God. When we love God, it will change the way we live. And I'm sure if you're a new Christian or you're not even a Christian yet, you're a Christian on the way to become, or a person on the way to becoming a Christian, or you talk to unbelievers, they think, how many things do you have to give up? You must be miserable being a Christian. Hopefully your countenance doesn't reflect that. The reality is, no, if you love God, it's easy to give up those things. But it's out of relationship. Not the rules. Go ahead and play this quick sermonette quick and we'll close here in a minute. It's not unusual for me to talk to Christian parents who are upset and concerned because maybe a college-age child or an adult child would be a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of tradition. But one of the most deadly things that can happen to your faith is to have just a little bit of Jesus. We raised her in church, but we didn't raise her in Christ. Which brings me to my last point. Rules don't keep us around. Any of us. When our kids grow up, and if they define Christianity as keeping the rules or some sort of moral code, they're going to abandon the rules and they're going to abandon Christ. As I said earlier, many of those friends of mine that I grew up with still are not living for the Lord. They heard the truth many, many times. That particular church was known for speaking the truth. But with the truth were all the rules, all the regulations. They walk away from both Jesus and they walk away from the rules. But if we can get to that place where you define Christianity That way, instead of following Jesus, we're in trouble. But if we can redefine it and say, you know what, it's not about the rules. It's about a relationship with Christ. It's about a relationship with Jesus. We don't need to worry about so many rules when we have a relationship with Jesus. It just comes naturally. We need to always, first and foremost, define Christianity as following Christ. Being a follower of Jesus. Think about it. Who in the world is going to want to be recruited into anything that sets up with a, starts with a set of standards that no one can ever live by and no one can ever keep? Please join us. We have a long list of rules. By the way, you're not going to do very well, so then you're going to have room for guilt, shame, and condemnation. And they go, where can we sign up? It isn't going to happen. It's a love relationship with Christ. 
Some of us have been bullied by Christians who misrepresented Christ. Might have went to a church where traditions and rules were everything. Maybe been in a place where grace was never talked about, but they sure made you feel guilty all the time. Jesus would love to have you discover, and we as a church would love to have you discover there's an abundant life in Christ that can be experienced out of the relationship with him. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray for each one of us here that you would open our understanding. I know personally how long it took me to get the idea about a relationship with you, loving someone I couldn't see or touch. Lord, I pray you would help us to get past those things and just surrender our lives to you. Receive your grace and receive your love. That we may discover that abundant life and experience that abundant life that's available in Christ. Teach us by your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to see the lies of the enemy who is constantly trying to point out our shortcomings to steal our relationship with you. God, I pray that each one here would know you as our personal Lord and Savior, but also as our Heavenly Father, also as our friend, also as a joint heir. God, that we would be able to share that with others, that your kingdom might be increased. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.